I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Kaylee. She was in a brutal biking accident. Let's talk about it. Well, this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be great. We're we're hanging out with Kaylee um, all the way from uh, out in beautiful British Columbia. And um, uh, first of all, Kaylee, I want to say thanks for being a patron. Uh, yeah. th- I mean, your your patronage had nothing to do with you being on the show because you applied a while ago, and um, and I would have come across this application and, and said, "Fuck, we got to do this regardless." But uh, you've been a patron. We we really appreciate it, and it's nice to see you chime in the Discord every once in a while. So, but I mean, it doesn't hurt your chances. It doesn't. It most certainly show. doesn't. Like if you're if you're a, it yeah, actually increases them. Yeah, it does. It really does. So if so you're listening it, to this and you're like, "Why haven't I been on the show yet?" Well, hey. It, I mean, that's money. Like you want to get your application <laughs> to the top of the inbox, yeah, like yeah. you know, just attach a little. Uh, uh, also, I should say uh, uh, this is our first day. This is our first recording that we're doing with Tay um, uh, in lockdown at home. He doesn't have COVID, but uh, he's he's got uh, he'll be pooping a baby out in in about a week and a bit. And so uh, you're Tay, you're just uh, holding down the fort at home and uh, making sure that you don't catch COVID, which you're a very good husband. Yeah, I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a, I'm on a zero percent chance of getting covid regimen yeah uh, until this until, until you until you arrives. order until you order uber eats and open the door and the guy sneezes <laughs> in your mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean i mean that's a risk we're willing to take <laughs> well um uh tay i'm sure that while you're uh cooped up at home you're going to be doing lots of uh indoor uh cycling if uh, that's probably what they call it um and uh, that's great for you and also a little bit relevant to what we're talking about today because today's conversation is all about something that tay is most certainly familiar with, not just cycling, but also um, getting massively fucked up on your cycle. Oh, um, no. Oh, yeah, are, we Kay- car accident, are we car accident bros? Well, I don't know. Kaylee, why don't you, why don't you take us through the incident in question? Because it's, uh, it, from what I've read, it's a pretty fucking wild scenario. Yeah, to the best of my ability, yes. because I don't really remember it. Um, so... No actual recollection of the accident itself. I don't believe there was a car involved, just based on like the investigation we did with my bike. But yeah, um, I was in a really gnarly cycling accident um, a few months after the pandemic started. I um, really like doing like bike packing, and so I was like heading over the island, um, just wrapped up like sixty-five kilometers, and I was only like five kilometers away from the ferry was kind of like busting a move to try to make the ferry. And yeah, next thing I know, I woke up and had no idea where I was or what I was doing and who the hell these people were standing around me. So that was uh, quite an experience. Um, Yeah, we we really don't know what happened, but we've kind of, from what I think, um, from what I've gathered, 
potentially the front rack on my bike might've like, um, one of the screws might've come loose and came down on my front tire when I was going downhill. So probably going around like 60 kilometers an hour and, um, kind of caused my bike potentially to launch me. What we know based on the like injuries is that I definitely like landed upside down on my face and my head. Um, and then my elbow also took a blow. Yeah. So uh, what's wild about this. So a really good friend of mine, Emily, uh, a couple of years ago, had a really gnarly accident on her bike. Uh, she wasn't going extraordinarily fast or anything, but what happened was the frame, the front frame of her bike must have been like corroded or something, and it literally just snapped, collapsed forward, and jammed into the front of her uh, front tire, launching her o- up and over, like tits up, and she had this, it looked like she was wearing a backpack with like bricks in it. And the backpack just came forward and, and like double slammed her face into the, into the pavement. Oh. She lost all of her teeth. But here's the crazy part. It was all caught on CCTV camera. So I have the footage and it is some of the gnarliest footage I've ever seen. Like I, every once in a while, I'll just go back and I'll watch and go, oh, fuck, wow. Um, but this sounds sort of familiar. Like so, you're that sort of similar. Person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a real good I'm a real good friend. That's you. <laughs> but this sounds very, uh, very similar in that um, you know, there was there was some sort of some sort of malfunction where front tire locks up, you go f- up and over, land on your head, but you, you came to, so did you come to on the road? Like, or, or what, like when you, when you, I mean, from what you recall, when you woke up, uh, where, where was your body? Yeah. I don't really even know all that well. Um, I, I think it's likely I was probably unconscious between like three to five minutes. Like I was kind of on like a rural road. So it's unlikely that there was like, and I think there was like a few people around me and there was not from I don't think there was anyone around when the accident happened. So like for that many people to be there, I think there would have had to have been like a few, quite a few minutes in between. No, um, doubt, and I don't yeah. really recall coming to so much as like, there's like glimpses that I can kind of put together. Um, apparently I like called my partner and was like, Hey, I was in an accident. Um, but I don't remember that. And no. I like have a vague recollection of like the ambulance showing up and them putting me on the board because they thought I might've had like a spinal cord injury. Um, and like hearing little things periodically in the ambient, in the ambulance. I also vaguely remember a woman yelling at me. Um, don't have any like visual memory of it, but her just being like, I have your bike. And I'm like, who is that? (laughs) I don't know who has my bike. Like I have your bike. bike. I have your bike and I'm never giving it back. Kind of thing. She was like, I have your bike and I'm tossing it in my car. (laughs) This reminds me of uh, when Taylor was in his accident, he was, his glasses flew off of his head and he just bought these new, new Oakley's. And so like my first concern for you was like, did you have, valuable glasses on that that that, were, oh, that somebody that stole I, <laughs> I sent you guys some photos um i think like there yeah, um yeah. but i ended up with like some pretty insane black eyes because mm. i had my like ray-bans on and i guess when i like smoked my face like first my, like my bot i don't know what would have happened but i must have been like upside down face was the first impact like oh. this part of the left side of my head so like this part of my head and then i guess like the impact of the glasses against my face created these insane black eyes like Whoa. they were gnarly yeah. so you don't so you so you don't know you're not positive as to what happened it's like a it's like you're you've got like a best guess yeah at what yeah. you think happened 
Yeah, I have like minor minor retrograde amnesia, so I don't remember the accident at all. So I think it's usually with um, like minor amnesia like that. It's like the most recent memories that you can kind of lose. So that's what I lost. Um, did when, you did you happen to lose memories of like earlier that day? You know, like like where you were coming from or what you had, you know what you, you know what you did earlier that morning, like or was it is it all really kind of condensed down to those few moments before and, you know, extended period of time after the actual accident? Yeah, I think it's more so relating to the accident. I mean, who's Mm -hmm. to say, like, I, I mean, really my memory only kind of picks and chooses what it wants to like recall anyways. So true. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Hard to tell. Mm. Uh, When, when you, so the woman who is like, I got your bike, did, did you eventually track her down and get your bike? And when you looked at your bike, was there any like telltale signs of, of like what might've happened? Yeah, weeks later. Um, shockingly, the bike was in like way better condition than I would have anticipated. The whole front tire was like absolutely untrue. Like it was just like totally um, like wackadoodle. But um, so that was also an indication that it was like a forward sort of, you know, mm. um, impact. But um, yeah, she I, like a few weeks later, we got in touch with her. And um, also I had like, because I was kind of like bike packing and I had all my stuff. Um, I guess like everything just exploded and I lost like a bunch of clothes and stuff because it all just was like a strew in the ditch somewhere um, where so. I was found. Yeah. So some people got some pretty sweet um, new clothes. <laughs> Did, didn't, do you from, a, from a, uh, from a, from a bike, but from a bike packing standpoint, like, I've always, I've, I've watched a lot of, uh, I, I have some, some pretty big ambitions to do some, some interesting bikepacking trips in different places in the world. And I, and I, and whenever I see, whenever I'm like looking into it and looking at, you know, videos of people who have done interesting routes or whatever, especially when the more remote they are, I'm like, wow, what is it like to, to, what is it like to handle a bike that has all this shit on it? Because yeah. like, they're, 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 they're generally bikes that look more or less the same as your, you know, fast road bike would look like with, with like a bunch of gear attached onto it. And I'm, I'm always like, what, how different is that going to be to, you know, ride that down a descent or, or whatever and handle it with all this weight Mm. clipping around? It's pretty wild. Um, six or seven years, six years ago now, I, um, actually set off on like a bike trip down the, um, down the West coast. So I did all the way from Victoria, BC to Los Angeles. And I like left by myself, took my Kona Sutra touring bike, um, which I was fully inexperienced, didn't test out how heavy it was. And without a doubt, at first it weighed substantially more than me. Like it was a joke. I was like falling over all the, over the place, like had to send things back multiple times. And I'm so lucky that nothing happened when I was like by myself Mm. on this route, because also you take a lot of sort of like, you know, random like detours and things. And, um, yeah. And your reception is like totally like shoddy. And, Mm. um, yeah. So I, like all I kept thinking about after was like, how did this not happen when I was alone, uh, in the States? Like, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. Taylor, you should really make sure that Kyla doesn't listen to this episode. (laughs) Well, there's like, there's a really interesting, um, there's really interesting technology. I mean, I, I think Apple has been running commercials about this for a while for the last like several months now that they've got like a, like an accident, uh, like an emergency accident sort of um, feature on their watch, but I believe you have to make a call, but there's a, um, there's a, there's a feature in Strava that 
uh, that if you what is Stravate in, for people who are uh, fucking Strava's muggles like, and don't don't Strava's, understand Strava's this like world. A, Strava's like a like a like an athlete social media where like you upload your activities, runs, bikes, swims, whatever. And, um, and there's a, if you're tracking that activity live in Strava, I guess this depends on reception and everything like that. There's a, there's a feature where it, it, it can, it can sense if you've been in an accident. And I think it has to do with like the deceleration of your phone, mm. um, like rapid deceleration of your phone. And there's a helmet actually that Specialized makes as well, that if you're, if you have a massive deceleration, the helmet, the helmet uh, has a has a has some type of GPS technology in it, and it like it will like send an alert to a mm. to a, like a predetermined um, uh, emergency like, contact. Yeah, yeah, like your dad or your mom or, or like or so. Yeah. yeah, I know Garmin watches. There's some Garmin watches that have the same same kind of uh, same kind of feature. I actually just read a tweet the other day of, of a woman who was uh, her her dad called her and was like, "Is everything okay? I got an alert that you're that you had an accident." from your Garmin and she was like oh yeah no I was I was I was playing the cross and I just got fucking cl- like clobbered <laughs> yeah. funny. You know, it'd be more helpful if they built like a, a vest or like uh, like shorts that you could wear that had airbags in them so that they do. Hit, they do have then that. you just yeah. explode and turn into yeah. an airbag so <laughs> Kay- <laughs> Kaylee um I know that you know I know you 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 had mentioned that there was amnesia there and so there, there's a lot that you don't remember but um, where, at what point do you start to recall getting memory back? Um, in particular, like like you know, en route to hospital or once you've gotten to the hospital. Like when did you when did you come back online? Yeah, definitely at the hospital. Um, I was kind of like more aware of what was going on, but like I was I was not with it. Like I, it was all such a haze. And all I remember, I remember just like crying the whole time, like, mm-hmm. and, and out of no control, like I, I just couldn't stop crying and I had no real idea what was going on. And it was like May, 2020. So, um, COVID's like, um, you know, in full max. force. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, yeah. And I just, I don't know. I couldn't stop crying. I, I really didn't know what was like going on. And it was just so hazy. Like I, I just remember being on the board um, and like kind of coming in and out a bit and like crying a lot just because I didn't know what was going on. And, and mm. I don't know why I couldn't control it. I guess it's like, um, you know, uh, not uncommon for head trauma to like trigger these sort of like emotions. And it just like messes with your hormones and mm-hmm. um, the chemical imbalance is, is like so prominent. Um, so mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was super emotional and um, I just remember being rolled around and feeling so sick, um, like so nauseous, like I was going to puke everywhere and um, them having to take me in for like CAT scans and, um, you know, all of these different um, x-rays because they were concerned about a spinal cord injury. And then I, uh, when they were doing the different x-rays, because they obviously had to do like my neck, my head, my shoulder. Um, and then I didn't realize this until this moment, but then they like straightened my arm. And I just remember screaming mm. because I didn't know that I had um, my elbow also on my left side was split like absolutely in two. Oh, so um, no. it was oh. like, so gnarly uh, yeah and um and yeah, so. they didn't know like did they I, not even know i don't know like they had to do they could see where the injuries like were like where i'd mm. sustained like basically they said also i had this huge insane road rash on my like left shoulder that they said was basically like third degree burns um and then oh, like oh. you could see it down the length of my like left arm and obviously my face and i had like road rash down my neck and like all over this side of my jaw oh. um and but yeah so i didn't 
I didn't know where, where my injuries were or what had happened. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't like kind of concluded what was going on. Um, but yeah. And so that was just like a shock when they just like straightened my arm and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you're like, you, you, you have to, you're, you're, you're in that accident and you are, I mean, in your situation, you don't, there's a lot that you, you don't, you don't remember a bunch of it. And, um, and you're also, when you, when you are conscious, you're not, you conscious you're you know this shocked version of you that yeah. is pain is pain is a different type of situation like you know i when i was when i got hit uh you know they're they're asking you what's going on and you can tell them you can tell them like this you know i i i, I you know for me it was like i feel like i, I can't get up mm-hmm. and it's like and that's the general sense, but it's like, well, why can't you get up? Is it because your neck is broken? Is it because your back is broken? Is it because your hip is broken? Is it because your leg is broken? And, you know, there's, it's, you can't like, it's, it's, unless you got a bone sticking out somewhere, it's kind of a mystery until you get to the hospital and they start putting you through all yeah, the I procedure. Really don't know. Like I, I especially like, wasn't like, I just wasn't with it. Like I, I vaguely remember like bits and pieces. Like I vaguely remember when I was in the room, um, one of the nurses, or I, I, I was like, I wasn't like able to, I don't recall like seeing anything. I just recall like the nurse asking the paramedic, like, um, did anyone see the accident? And then responding, no. Um, and then I vaguely remember like a while later, um, one of the nurses showing me my helmet and saying like, this literally saved your life. Like, this is no joke. And, mm-hmm. and I recall, I recall like crying and being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they're like, why are you sorry? Like you have to be here. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, don't be <laughs> mad at me. Did you like gradually start to come back online or, or did it just happen all at once? Yeah, it was funny. It was like hours later. I think it was like, um, they didn't end up keeping me overnight because of like with COVID and everything, like they were kind of like, we need like any, like we don't want anyone here that like absolutely doesn't have to be. So I was like, so kind of like wacky that they didn't know what was going on with me. And then all of a sudden, like hours later, I was just like, she came, someone came in and I was just like sitting up and they were like, Oh, like, <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> She's like, just like out of nowhere, just kind of like, a little bit more like what's happening. Um, mm. and yeah, the, the something that I found kind of interesting and I've never actually heard about this, but this whole notion of like post accident hormone irregularity, yeah. like, is that, what is that? Wait, what's that from? Is that, is that, is that due to head trauma and, and, um, or, or is that more so due to just like, just uh you know the confusion of shock and and the and the body kind of like just pumping out these hormones and and on top of that is that something that they is that something that they see and and have to mitigate and treat or is that just one of those things where it's like let you know let this just kind of blow over and and eventually things will regulate yeah so i think like um I think that this is actually like really common with head trauma. Um, I mean, it's kind of like your brain misfiring and it's like your brain's super confused. And so it will like over or underproduce certain chemicals or hormones that it normally knows how to regulate. Um, and so I really experienced this to like an extreme. I think that it's like generally, yeah, to your point, like it's sort of after, you know, like a week or two, it kind of mellows. I think they say like between like 80 to 90%, like after like seven to 10 days or something like that, um, it sort of just goes back to its regular Mm. kind of like 
function. But um, obviously with post-concussion syndrome and stuff, or like, I don't know, like certain levels or grades of concussions that can extend on. So I think I kind of mentioned this in my um, application, but one thing that like, this was a huge, huge element for me. Like I, my moods were obviously all over the place, but more um, also it really affected my sleep. So for the Mm. first month, I like could not stay awake. I was asleep for like between 16 to like 20 hours a day at least. And then then, like as the month wrapped up, I had insane insomnia for months following. Like I, the accident happened the end of May. Uh, The first like month of June, I couldn't stay awake. And then until the very end of um, August, I had the most extreme insomnia I've ever experienced. And I would just be like, wide awake all night long. Um, and then the weirdest thing that happened was, um, my body tricked me into thinking that I was pregnant. So, um, um, the hormone imbalance, um, I like, I guess I hadn't had my like period for a few weeks leading up to my accident. But then, um, by the time I kind of realized it a few months later, it was like, it's been three months, um, like what's going on. And, and I, my body was truly thought that I was pregnant. Like I, my breasts were like extremely enlarged and tender. I, um, was sensitive to smell. I like obviously had extreme fatigue and stuff. And so it was hard and nausea. So it was hard to decipher with those like kind of underlying symptoms that were really tied to the head injury. But yeah, my body like fully tricked me and I had to get like, um, I went into the doctors to have like a test done because I was so, so convinced I was pregnant. Like you, yeah, yeah, right. I was going to say like your body, body was literally tricked you into thinking as well. Yeah. Wow. Was that that a, is fucking HC, bizarre. Like was there, was there, was it HC? Do you know if it was HCG? If there was, is that, is that the, I'm not too I think sure. that's, the, I think, I think that's the hormone. Like when, when, when your body becomes pregnant, it like, that's, you get this like crazy influx of HCG and that changes a whole, that makes a ton of alterations in like how you feel and everything. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it considering it's it's truly like the head trauma causes this like your brain to malfunction and it's just kind of it's producing chemicals that it wouldn't normally or it's like underproducing. So I, I think it very well could be that. I mean, what I would also say is that I don't have a general practitioner. I'm on a list for a general practitioner, but because of that, the journey uh, like and, and the medical system is imperfect in the sense that like nobody follows up with you. Like the second mm. they discharged me, it's like, that's it. Goodbye. Yeah. Like yeah. hopefully, you know, nothing happens in the night. <laughs> I don't know. So, and that's not yeah. a concussion. And like, and you, you're like, you've clearly got, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm making comparisons to, I'm making comparisons to my experience, obviously. And like, you know, I had very obvious things wrong with me like my hip was broken so I couldn't get up and walk out of the hospital but like when I think about the actual seriousness of a brain injury as opposed to me breaking my hip it's like okay I've got like a 95 plus percent chance of having you know no issue whatsoever ever again you know Mm -hmm. after the initial acute recovery but with a head trauma like it's such a question mark and, and, and just the, just think the relative seriousness of those two things and how, and how I had to stay in the hospital for a week and, you know, you're, you're very much so, and I know COVID plays a role in that, but like, you're, you know, you're kind of like rushed out of the hospital, um, even though you, you end up having this injury to your brain that is altering you on so many different levels mm. that mm. it's, 
and just just to think that that you get discharged after this you know the same day versus you know versus you know my, my experience of being in the hospital f- you know for a week it just it just seems yeah. kind of crazy that it's not um evaluated more not i, I don't want to say le- more seriously but you know i guess benefit of the doubt to the hot to the healthcare system like maybe it's just we maybe the, maybe there's just not the tools available to evaluate what the extent of that damage is or could be in the future when you have an accident like that in the moment, like it's got to be assessed. It's got to reveal itself. I don't know. That that was my question is like, like obviously they ran a bunch of tests before they let you go, but when they let you go, did they, did they say anything like, Hey, listen, like, you know, you might expect to experience these things or have these feelings Mm -hmm. or like, did they give you any indicator of what the next few weeks might be like for you? Not really that I can recall. The only thing that I know um, that I like really kind of remember um, is they put me in touch with a really good orthopedic surgeon because obviously I had to get pins in my elbow. um, And so I have to have surgery for my elbow. But um, and that is kind of all that I really remember taking away from it. Um, But I'm lucky the orthopedic surgeon that they put me in touch with he was just so great. And he really advocated me for me in more ways. And, um, uh, it was kind of a journey with him because I had my like initial surgery with him. And then I ended up going like continue to follow up with him a lot because the break was like pretty substantial. And, um, and then over like a year later had the pins taken out and so had surgery again with him. But so he actually is the one who kind of helped me identify certain things and got me, um, in touch with like the advanced concussion therapy clinic that I went to. Mm. Um, like, so I'm lucky that he was like, such a wonderful guy and was super helpful and like kind of invested. He actually drove by after my accident happened and saw me on the side of the road and said to himself like, Oh, I feel like I'll see that girl later. Oh my (laughs) God. Whoa. Yeah. And and he, and he was the, he, he was the first person on scene and was like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't got time. And, and Conflict which is, of which interest. Is, yeah, really, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, if, I, if I get involved now, I might not get the client later. So. <laughs> yeah. There was people around and things, so he was like, I don't have to partake. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. In in recent uh, past, we've done we've done a couple of episodes now focusing on concussion and, um, uh, you know, like very interestingly, like a concussion based on uh, an electric uh, an electric concussion or elect- electrocuted concussion, um, and and that, like diving into the the realm of concussion is really it's fascinating. It's a really interesting. It's a very interesting. Um, uh, 
disorder, like what would you call a concussion injury, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the ways that it can affect your life and, and uh, especially over a period of time is really fucked up and fascinating. But, um, when you go to this clinic, um, how soon did you start going to the clinic after the accident? And what was that experience like? Yeah, it, it actually wasn't until like around nine months after the accident. Um, I think in my mind, I convinced myself that like, okay, this is like a short term head injury. Like it's not, it's not going to be anything that like stays with me. Like I thought that it wouldn't last and that was not the case. Like it was so debilitating. Um, it really just kind of like lingered on. I, I did my, like certain things initially would kind of like come and go and, and you almost like, um, have these like false, um, this like false hope that like, okay, maybe I'm getting better. I'm turning a corner, but that just isn't the reality. Like as soon as all the like bruises and the like major kind of visible injuries go away, it's, it's tricky because these things linger and they, it's not like black and white. It's like one week, maybe you're doing okay. And you're feeling a little better, but then the next week you're just like down and out. You have extreme headaches and you are so, your vertigo is so bad. You can barely get up. Um, and you're just like totally out of balance. And it's these things that like, aren't easy to identify for other people, but like you are struggling. And so at the like nine month mark, I'm like, it's getting worse. Like I thought that I was like, progressing. And then like, I remember January, February, the following year, it was just like suddenly out of nowhere. It was like, it was almost like I was, had the accident had just happened. Like it completely went back to square one. And so that's when I got in touch with the concussion clinic, which, um, it's expensive. It's like an arm and a leg to go to these things. It's not Mm. like, Mm. it's not very accessible. Like their initial treatment was, I think like over $700 for their like assessment. And you're not technically able to like use, um, like for the initial assessment, I had to pay that out of pocket, but I was able to kind of do some of the other treatments through my physiotherapy and benefits and stuff, but I don't have that much money. And each session you go to after your initial assessment is like $300 combined. So And you're doing like a combination of like ocular therapy. Um, My biggest thing is the vestibular system was affected. So like extreme vertigo, extreme headaches, like, yeah, like balance stuff. Um, And so they do these sort of like vestibular, um, like it's like vestibular therapy, I think. Um, Mm. And so that one's sort of more like, and they do like athletic therapy because your blood flow um, through your body is affected from the head trauma. And so um, lots of funny things. Like it's like you do the drunk test a lot. I remember yeah. doing the drunk <laughs> right. test a Crazy. lot. Well, like, was, was that like, was it really validating though? Like going to the clinic? I, I imagine that there's, I feel like there's a lot of stigma around concussion recovery, especially like that far after the event. I mean, for you going mm. through that experience, like those, the migraines that you're getting, these, these like symptoms that you're still having are, are obviously very real and very, in, can be very intense, but like, you know, I think, I feel like sometimes it's hard for like the general person who hasn't had somebody in their life go through something like that or, or doesn't really know the effects of like that concussions can really have on the body. It's hard to imagine like that it can have such a profound effect so far down the road. Um, so like going to the concussion clinic, did you, did you find that it was validating? Like, was there, was there a piece of you that was like, is this in my head? Like, like, is this real? Is this really still affecting me? Absolutely. I downplayed it a lot. Um, and I mean, but it was, 
at that point, especially, it had completely regressed um, back to sort of those initial, the initial like kind of trauma that I experienced. And um, it, it was less validating than I had hoped, to be honest. Like I kind mm-hmm. of remember thinking that I wanted what I wanted to get out of it. And I think to your point, exactly, I was looking for that. And it wasn't, I, it really wasn't what I had expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the reality is like, I needed a GP. I needed a general practitioner. I needed somebody who could like advocate for me and help me get in for like more tests and more things outside of just that. And I think that the like concussion therapy clinic like helped, you know, a little bit like it did initially, but like it's almost two years later and I'm still experiencing these symptoms like on a regular basis. So I, and I mean, a part of it is like fed by if I have a bad sleep or if I'm overworking or if I'm doing this and that, like I, but yeah, it's still it's still really with me. And I think not having like a practitioner to help me really like follow through with the actual like trauma itself um, mm-hmm. and the injury is probably what is missing. Like, do you know what it is that causes that dysregulation like so far after? Like, is it is it like bruising or trauma on the brain or like the, the different hormones or like, do you know what it is that, that causes those symptoms? to still occur? I read something that kind of resonated a bit where it was like your brain is kind of, it's almost like volume knobs where your brain is always kind of like, it's like these knobs that are like perfectly kind of placed. And so it allows for a certain, like it kind of is like always the perfect amount of hormones or the perfect amount of this that is being, and the perfect, the blood flow, like all of these things. And so I think it's like a matter of it, just like, it's like, it is no longer like, you know, it's like, it's all out of whack now. And so those knobs are like broken. Yeah. I don't know. And, and so I can't like really speak confidently to like why it hasn't regulated, but it definitely hasn't regulated. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, potentially there's something with the vertigo thing where it's actually like maybe matter in my ear. Like, I don't know. Um, but it's definitely still with me. Mm -hmm. I just want to, I wanted to, to, to kind of just draw back to the comparison that I made earlier about the, about like, you know, a very obvious, a very obvious injury, like the one that I had, which is a broken pelvis to a head injury, like you had Kaylee. And, and, and in the, in the, in the context of the, of what you said about the cost of going to uh, the concussion clinic and, and, you know, what that, what that ultimately is going to, when it's not covered under uh, provincial health, or it's not in your, uh, it might not be in your covering your health plan or something like that. And, and, that, you know, if I, if, if I had shown up to the hospital and I had said, you know, they had said, you you got a broken hip, a broken pelvis. Um, but, um, you know, th- there's not really much we can do, you know, you got a broken pelvis and you're going to have a broken pelvis and it's going to get better. And they said, go home, <clears throat> you know, then I might go home and I might do a bunch of stuff that makes that recovery of that broken pelvis much longer than it would have been otherwise. And then when I go to physio, I'm going to have to go to physio for longer, which is going to cost me more money and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of like cascading effect of not maybe being treated properly at the like acute level, like right when the accident happens. And again, I do want to give the benefit of the doubt to the healthcare system because I, I do, I do think that at least what we know now is that when you have a head injury, the, I don't know. I don't know if we. I don't know if we know that much of what to do acutely, like as soon as somebody has mm-hmm. a head injury, um, and that's obviously a, a field. A, a field that there needs to be a lot of improvement in. But 
like I think about that and go, if if that was the case, if we did have more resources for being able to say, hey, you should stay in the hospital for a couple of days so we can keep observation and see how this progresses over the next 48 hours or, uh, you know, whatever diagnostic tests that might be available in the future, that that would mean that maybe you don't have to go nine months before you realize that you have to go to a concussion clinic. And then you might not have to go to the mm. concussion clinic for as long and spend as much money. And uh, I just, I just kind of like had that thought of bringing that attention to the, like the head injury space, because it's something that has come a long way over the past um, probably decade with, mm-hmm. I think a lot of attention got brought to head injuries with how the NFL recognized that, um, you know, they know that players are getting really bad uh, head trauma and that's, affecting their lives later. And I think that's sort of like signaled a turning point in terms of like how people started to pay attention to concussions in general. It's kind of stopped being the whole, okay, you got hit in the head. Don't do anything for seven days. Uh, and then you're good or, or even worse, shake it off, get back out there, keep living your life. Don't change anything. Um, I think we're changing in that regard, but you know, I, I think it just, I think this story kind of just highlights. And again, like my story, your story, like something that's very intangible versus something that's very tangible and like how the outcomes can be so different because of just the, the lack of ability to, to really know and understand what's going on with the injury that somebody sustains to their head, because it's such a complex and, and under, under, <laughs> under understood yeah. misunderstood yeah uh, right yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i mean really for them i think the initial um like initially what they really just need to validate is that you don't have any hemorrhaging and that you're not swelling and there's no bleeding and then once that's kind of okay you're good like we don't see any like signs of hemorrhaging then it's sort of like well like what else can we do for you mm-hmm. um at least in that like emergency like format you know mm-hmm. I, so, I, yeah. A quick question about the uh, like the cost associated with the, the a concussion clinic. You, you you had mentioned how much it costs, you know, per visit. But when someone like yourself comes in nine months out from the the initial accident with like pretty severe concussion post concussion syndrome um, symptoms, like what what do they? do they give you any kind of indication of like how long and how many times you would likely need to be showing up in order to get yourself to a place that really, um, you know, get yourself to a, just a much better place than where you were? Yeah, not, not necessarily. Like I don't, I don't recall them actually giving me like a specific amount of time that it would kind of take to, um, to see the benefits. I think it was, um, more so like these are the types of therapies we're going to pursue with you. We're going to pursue like ocular. We're going to pursue sort mm-hmm. of like, um, it's sort of like this like mobile type or um, where they do kind of like different movements with your neck and stuff, because obviously like neck injury um, really plays a role as well. Um, and you end up with like a lot of neck pain and like tightness in there. Um, and then um, those sort of like um, athletic therapies and the kind of like vestibular, like drunk test things that you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they kind of more so just indicate like, this is the journey. And then I recall it only being like a matter of a few months. And then then them basically being like, okay, like we are seeing like some positive, like, you know, um, 
changes in the blood flow and like X, Y, and Z. And so there's not really like a ton more we can do for you. Right. And, and that how, kind of how often, it. how often were you going like uh, over those two months, like once a week or, or I think it was like every two weeks or every like, um, yeah, okay. it was like a few months and it was like every two weeks. Like yeah. I was kind of going in and doing, seeing like the respective like therapists, mm. like every few weeks. Mm-hmm. I am, uh, insomnia is super fucked up. Um, I, my mother had uh, this bout of insomnia once when she, she, when she faced, uh, like qu- quite a, a, quite a bit of like an onslaught of grief, um, you know, lost a couple of cl- close friends and, and her father. And, um, and as a result, she started suffering from insomnia because of the anxiety. And what was really wild is that she had a full on psychotic break one night and I remember me and my dad, and my sister were like witness to it. And it was one of the scariest things I've ever experienced in my entire life. It's just so hard to describe how like unsettling that experience was. So I know that insomnia is like bad news bears and, and can be very, very detrimental. I'm wondering how, how did that affect you on your, on your day to day basis? And like, and how bad did it get? Like how, you know, how debilitating was, was the insomnia for you? Yeah, it was probably like one of the things I struggled with the most. Um, I mean, who, who doesn't like, everybody wants to sleep. Everybody needs to sleep. So it's like the most like anxiety inducing feeling when you're lying there and you're like, you like, I remember, I remember um, trying to explain it and it felt like almost like this this door that I like, I couldn't get through. Like, I don't know how else to like articulate it. It was like this like blank space and I couldn't like, I couldn't move through it. Like I would just sit there and it was this weird sort of like, like thickness in my head. And there was no way to like, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Like I would just lie there and I'd be like, how do I, how do I do this? Like, Mm. I forget how to sleep. And I don't know, it would just be like, all of a sudden I would kind of get a few hours periodically, but it was like, it was like a few months of this and it was miserable. Um, did you, I know joke had the exact same feeling once when the only time that I have, uh, had a bad mushroom trip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. dude. Yeah. 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 I was laying in my bed and I was going, I need to sleep. I know I need to sleep, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I'll ever sleep again. But (laughs) but I think this is death. Am I dying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, and and I was like, is this going to be forever? This is for, (laughs) this is forever now. This is my life. Do you, Kaylee, do you like during this time period of the, the insomnia, like, were you sharing a space with anyone? Did you have a partner? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was with my partner. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like a lot of the a lot of that, like those initial few months are kind of hard to recall. Like it was all such a haze and probably a part of that was the lack of sleep. Um, like it's, it all is just sort of like blends together and it's hard to kind of recall like specific, like feelings and moments of that kind of initial experience. But, um, when I do remember like trying to go and be a normal human being and going like camping, um, like at the end of the summer, and, um, I don't know why I, that's what I remember the most is that like inability to sleep while we were mm. like in the tent and I could hear everyone else around me like sleeping. And I just remember being oh. like, why can't I do this? Yeah. Like, why, why? <laughs> that would be so frustrating feeling yeah. that. Did, yeah. yeah, man, I, uh, the feeling of not, I, I love taking naps and like 
the feeling of not being able to sleep would literally it would drive me fucking yeah, it would mad. drive me yeah. crazy. Yeah, it, it does. You um uh so you 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 finished the the concussion clinic after a few months. What sorts of like ongoing symptoms have you have you been facing since then? Yeah, the biggest thing for me is like the vertigo and the like headaches. Also, um, it kind of comes in these spouts. So like a few weeks ago, I had like a really bad week. And it's like, I, um, it's funny, because like before I even open my eyes, when I wake up in the morning, I can tell I can feel it in my head, it just feels like wrong. I'm like, I've I'm going to have like, I have vertigo right now. And this day is going to be hard. Mm. And it's mm. like, before I even like move, um, I, and then everything from there is sort of this ripple effect of like, you're off kilter, like your, your balance is totally hooped. And my head's kind of like thick and I can't really, it's hard to focus and like, even like kind of interpret what people are saying to you. And you're sort of like moving through the day in this like thickness, um, and just like dizzy all day long, which yeah. is, just so gross. I, how uh, how is the how has it affected your uh, ability to work? So like ev- even mm. with like hearing you say that now, I imagine that it's hard to do your job. But even like after the accident in those first few months, like where did you go? Did you have to go off work for a little bit? Yeah, I was I was really lucky. They were so like understanding and concerned. Um, so I. I took some time and um, really kind of just, I mean, also I couldn't stop sleeping. So there's no way I could have, um, yeah, yeah. I could have like managed to stay awake enough to to participate. I tried to like periodically come on and kind of just like stay a little bit in touch um, with kind of what was going on and kind of give them updates and um, regarding like where I was at. But um, really it's been a journey of understanding how to like set boundaries for myself and like um, walk away when I feel like I'm getting like, you know, when I'm feeling that come on. So being like, okay, I need to take like a break or I need to maybe like not do a zoom call and I need to just like take a phone call and go sit elsewhere. Or I need to go, um, like take my lunch and go for a walk or just like, um, initially though, like things like walks, I couldn't, it took months to get back to like have the energy to do those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, now that's kind of how I navigate it. How, how does it all, I mean, it, it just, even to this day, like what you're going through now, um, sort of what you laid out there, it, it, it sounds extraordinarily frustrating. You know, these, these like this onslaught of symptoms that sort of come and go. And so some days are, are, are better than others, but then like some days are just totally, totally shot. Um, how does that, how, how does that have an effect on you emotionally? Like, how does that, you know, especially when, when like, trying to navigate this stuff with people like your partner or, or your, your family or your friends, like how tough is that? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things and you hear people talk, uh, you guys especially hear people talk about this all the time, like those invisible injuries. Like, like I was saying, once the bruises and the, like the gashes are gone, you're sort of left with something where, um, it's hard to articulate it. And like, you know, a few days before you could have been like in full health and you could have been up and at them and really like, feeling good. And then the next couple of days are not so good. And so it's confusing for people when they're like, well, you know, are you sick? Mm-hmm. And no, I'm just like having a hard couple of days. And, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to like level set expectations of like how you can show up and how you can be there for people. And, 
um, I struggle, it's been a really big struggle for me. My, um, also within my family, like, um, every, my family overall is like super supportive, but my mom has Parkinson's and so she's been Mm. sick for all my life. And so her illness really takes up, you know, a lot of space in, in our life. And so it's not like the support system looks different for me. Um, it's not the same where I, I have to be a support system for her and, you know, um, and in my life, I tend to be a support system a lot. So, um, I tend to take on a lot more than maybe I should, especially through like recovery. But mm. yeah. Um, and that's another fear is that like, you know, with head trauma, you wonder like, are there long-term effects? Are there things that this could like equate to? Like, could I end up with Parkinson's? Could I end up with these things? So um, in, from an emotional lens, like you, you spiral sometimes and mm. yeah. Do you, uh, do, do you guys think this is kind of like a, like a philosophical, um, just like whatever your thoughts might be around this, but thinking about uh, the the way in which the way in which when you have something that is uh, that isn't that isn't visible, uh, that you know you don't have a you know an aid uh, like a like a walking aid or a cast or something that just makes it like blatantly obvious like you've got this thing going on. Are you going to um, say that we should get everybody should have face tattoos that identify if they're yeah? Going I was going to say I was going to say we should all have. Um, tattoo identifiers. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually. Um, uh, yeah. I could see the, the positive side of that. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's historically worked out really well. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so, so like, do you think that like in the last hundred years, like the, I mean, not that long ago, if you had something wrong with you where, you know, it was hormonal and it affected your moods. I mean, you were just crazy. You were a yeah, witch. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, totally. exactly. Like you know, it wasn't that long ago where yeah. it was like you know round all those people up and put them in this spot where they like just don't get to participate in society, and that's not yeah. that long ago. But do you think that we'll get to a place at some point where our where us as people, and maybe this is like an evolution that's going to need to take a, like a really long time, where we where we acknowledge where we acknowledge those deficits that people live with in the same way that that we that we accept, accept them and acknowledge them so easily when you see somebody who's got like a cast on and you go, they've got a, you know, they've, they've got a, they can't, they've, their leg is broken. They can't do the X, Y, Z because their leg is broken. I, and yeah, if you With, think we'll get there as I, a, I think we're, brains. I think we're headed in that direction. I mean, you know, this is, uh, that, I mean, that's essentially what this show is trying to do, you know, like just to normalize those things and, and, and humanize those, those very human experiences. And, um, you know, like we're seeing it, we're, we're seeing it now with, especially in the last like five years, we're seeing it now with the ways that we talk about, uh, and open up about mental health issues. And I think it's, uh, I think if we just continue on that path, then yeah, naturally, like we will just kind of evolve to a point where we, 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 we talk about and view those sorts of things with the same kind of considerations that we would with someone who's, you know, walk, who's, who's, who uses a wheelchair to get around. I I think it's things like, uh, I, I, uh, heard a friend say to another friend the other night, um, that one, one guy asked the other guy to, if he wanted to hang out and he said, I honestly just don't have the emotional capacity tonight. And the guy said, he was like, cool. Yeah. Like totally understandable. And it's hearing like language like that, that, uh, that, that makes no cap, bro. (laughs) All good. That I ain't going to L ratio that shit. (laughs) 
<laughs> True, but uh, but but it's language like that that like that then makes it like you know for somebody who's struggling with an invisible illness, it it makes that language the general language of like I don't have the emotional capacity or I'm not in the like um, I don't have the the mental capacity right now to do that normalizes the fact that like you know all of us have good days and bad days mm. and sometimes the bad days just prevent us from being able to do things mm. that we can normally do on the good days and and that that's becoming more and more accepted so yeah. i i think yeah. that i i'm and optimistic the that, but there's still people who are fucking shitty about it so and the and the reason Jared and i Jared and i you know made those comments there at the beginning of that there Bryce, because that we know the people that you're talking about were 17 years old and they were yeah that they are <laughs> uh, they are and 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 we are actually just we are we are applauding that generation's uh, obvious uh, <laughs> perception changed for different perception. Seriously though. Stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like seriously. You trying to hang tonight? Yeah. No, nah, I don't have the emotional capacity, bro. Bet. Well, All right. I, no cap. Yeah. No cap. Yeah. And uh, I, I am, um, I, <laughs> I'm one to be busting. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The glizzy. Um, uh, <laughs> Kaylee, I, I, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but like before we started recording, we were talking about, you were talking about how you're loving euphoria. I haven't watched it uh, oh, yeah. for, for my own reasons, but um, but do you like even in a show like that, that is that is like a show that truly is speaking to Generation Z right now. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do you do you see do you is that is that again, because I haven't watched the show, but like, is that kind of the 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 discussions and like ways that people handle. So I, I know mental health is a big part of that show. And so, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like one thing I was actually just talking about this yesterday with my girlfriend, but, um, one thing that, that they're doing is they're creating these like moments and this space to, to get into the backstory, to get into the personal experiences and why these individuals are the way they are, or they show up the way they show up. And it's like tying that in and have holding space for people to talk about their unique experiences and trying to understand like hey, the way that they're behaving or the way they're showing up is it's truly connected to something. It's Mm. truly connected to that like experience that they went through. Um, Yeah, so I think that's a big thing. And I mean, honestly, you're right. Like right now, this moment in time, it's becoming like for everything, not just for like invisible illness, but also for visible illness. Because historically, you know, you would be comfortable with something that was in close proximity to you. So even like with my mom's Parkinson's, like people that didn't have experiences with that would look at her when she would walk and move. And, Mm. you know, it freaked them out because it was like unfamiliar to them. Those like, those like erratic movements didn't make sense. And now there's like so much more like coverage and more people are showing up in different ways. And even in like, you know, I think about like, like the company I work for, where even like the photos that they take, there's people that are like, you know, amputees. And and so there is more space being held for people Mm. um, with different mental health, physical health disabilities. And yeah. Even your like employer, you know, giving you the time and, and being accepting of like the, the experience that you're going through, like, obviously like the, they're, you know, one of the good employers that would do that. But it's other companies that look at those companies as their role models and go, Oh man, we like, we should be doing this. It's good for company culture. It's good for Mm -hmm. employee retention, but it's also just good. Like it's just Mm. a good thing to do Mm -hmm. in general. So we, we haven't, uh, we, we didn't even say what you do for work, but uh, Kaylee is Kaylee launders money for the Sinaloa cartel. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, 
it's really just, lucrative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's good to know that. And, and, they, and they, really strong, care about, they really care about employee well-being. Yeah, They're strong, so good to their people. Strong family values. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kaylee, I, uh, I'm wondering about how this accident changed your relationship to cycling. Is it something that you still enjoy or... Or have you have you had a hard time like getting back on the saddle? I've had a hard time getting back. I yeah. um, it's not that I I don't go out periodically. Um, it kind of takes somebody to like get me out there with them though. Um, before like honestly, I didn't even have my license until um, like over a year and a bit ago. Like I never drove. Um, my mom never drove. Like I grew up cycling. My mom was like a really avid cyclist, um, and we biked everywhere we went. Um, so you know, it was pretty devastating. Like that was literally my means of transportation and my like happiness and joy. And, um, yeah, I, the same level of like confidence to just like go outside and go for a bike ride by myself, like no hesitation is definitely gone. Um, so I really want to focus on trying to rebuild that, Mm. but it's, um, yeah, it's a journey for sure. To that point then, what would you say is, what would you say is the biggest thing that this accident has taken away from you? Yeah. Um, it's definitely taken away my confidence in physical activity. Like I was super active before and, um, I, I hesitate more now. I'm more fearful for sure. Um, yeah. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, I mean, this is an, again, like an ongoing journey, but I think it's kind of helped me, um, better be able to set boundaries for myself and see where I need to do that and when I need to do that. Um, I'm still not perfect with it, but it's like, I've come so far. Mm. Um, I tend to take on a lot and uh, this has been a good way for me to kind of see where I have to kind of take a step back periodically. Mm. Have you, I wanted to uh, ask before we wrap to, um, have you been going to therapy as well? Yeah, I definitely like really value um, my counselor and, you know, I want to focus on like being more consistent with it, but, um, I tend to go like pretty periodically, but, um, yeah, it's definitely been helpful having, um, a space to kind of talk about it too. Mm -hmm. Well, Kaylee, I gotta say, this has been a real treat to sit down and chat with you about, um, about the, you know, the, the ups and downs that you've been through over these past couple of years. And it's, it's nice to know that you're, you seem to be on the, the right track and you, you know, I, 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 as much as you are right now and still in that, that space of not feeling quite comfortable to, to get back on the bike, I, I, I have a feeling that you're, you're going to get there quite soon. So keep up that, uh, keep up that, that hard work and, and stay on that journey because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an important part of your life and one of those things that makes you who you are. And so, uh, we're, we're rooting for you. Thank you. And thanks for this. This has been really fun. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you guys. It was such a treat. Hey, there you go, folks. What did you think of that? Hope you enjoyed it. It was pretty fun. Kaylee's uh, quite the guest and quite the story. And uh, we're glad she's still alive. Um, Well, hope you enjoyed that, folks. We will be back, as always, on Wednesdays and Fridays and every other Monday. And if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply leave a review rather than, uh, nope, a rating, actually, on the Spotify mobile app. And, uh, of course, you can join the conversation over on our Discord. That link is in the show notes of this episode. And um, big thank you. Big thank you to Taylor. Brian, myself, thank you, me, for uh, producing and 
hosting the show. And a big thank you to Donovan, the CPAP Morgan, for doing the sound design. Uh, Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau, thanks for managing the podcast and putting up with our shit. And, of course, big thank you to Take Part, the now defunct band who made the music for this week's episode. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.